0: Hey guys, welcome to Telling the Told and Untold. My name is Tichol. So, today's video is a bit different. A couple of months ago, I got a book. It's titled The Profiler Diaries by Khairat Um, This is the book, I hope you guys can see it. I really like it, I really like it. My brother recommended it to me. Um, I'll put the link in the description box below like where I got it. I'm not sure how much it is. I know it's like, I don't think it's more than 300 rand. But yeah, um, and basically it's about Khairat Labaskakni who is a police psychologist and he just talks about like his time in SAPS, all the different people that he's worked um, with, um, different murder cases that he's worked on as well, serial rapists, serial murderers, things like that. It's really interesting. So the book has seven chapters. The first chapter is titled State versus Labaskakni and he basically just talks about his upbringing, what got him into psychology. Like, into like what got him into studying psychology, then criminology. Him doing his masters, different people that he's interviewed. He's worked with so many people as well. He's worked with the FBI, the BAU, which is outside of Quantico. He's worked with um he did a ballistic crime scene reconstruction course with NCIS, and he spent time with the LA Sheriff's Bomb Squad. He's also done like so much more than that, but I thought I'd list those ones because I don't know, maybe you guys would. <laughs> Like, I don't know, like, just gauge how amazing he is Like, he's really amazing And he's just done so much He's done so much It's actually so crazy how much he's done Like, with his 14 years at SEPS And, yeah, the second chapter is titled the rise of serial murder and profiling in south africa and basically the chapter is just that there's something that he mentioned in the chapter which i thought was interesting where he talks about the difference between serial murderer and serial killer and basically what he says is that he thinks that we should refer to serial killers as serial murderers and that's because there's so many different like types of killings or killers like he gives like he gives an example of like an elephant like being a killer as well and he just says that we should call serial killers serial murderers because based on the south african definition of a murderer which is basically just the intentional killing of someone that makes more sense so throughout the book he refers to them as serial murderers serial murder yeah i thought that was very interesting he's also worked on so many different cases and some of the cases i've actually covered he's worked on on the Inger case, the Van Prieta case, that was literally my first video Um, I'll link them all up here. He's also worked on the Lee Matthews case and I didn't know this but as I was reading the book I found out that Lee Matthews' killer um, his name is Donovan Moodley, he was up for parole last year in 2020 I couldn't find out like if he was released or what's currently happening so I thought that was interesting so if you guys haven't watched that video I think you should. So Lee Matthews was a university student, she went to campus and she was kidnapped on campus by donovan midley and then um he basically just called her parents for a ransom and they did like find her and he was eventually arrested and it's actually such a crazy case if you haven't watched that i suggest that you guys do watch it and yeah so then the last five chapters are cases that he's covered as well but they're like in depth so the other cases he just kind of like brushes over but then the last five chapters are cases that he's covered like in depth like all like the details the psychological profiling just things like that so i thought that i would have a series (laughs) titled the profiler diaries and for the next four videos minus this one um it will just be a series titled The Profiler Diaries where I talk about the last five chapters and the cases that he talks about, which is also great because it has like insight from the person that worked on the case and more information that you probably won't find online. So if you guys are interested in that, I hope like you'll stick around for the next couple of videos of this new series that I have going on. Um, Also should note that this video isn't sponsored. Um, I just thought that it was a cool idea and hope you guys like it. So with that, let's go straight into today's case. Today's case is The Profiler Diaries, Jose De Silva. On the 23rd of November 2001, at around 5 a.m., a motorist found the unidentified body of a white woman on the N14. This man was on his way to work from Krugersdorp to Pretoria. So he saw this body on the side of the road, stopped, and called police officers who soon arrived on the scene. The woman's body was found laying face down she was naked except for the white bra that she had on she was really close to the road like her fingertips were like almost touching the road and if she was like placed like maybe like three meters away from where she was found her body like most likely would have been found like wouldn't have been found for like weeks or months Since the body was found at 5am, it was just assumed that the suspect had left the body there in the early hours of the morning or late at night where there wouldn't have been much traffic so it would have been easier for him to leave the body there. It was clear that this was a secondary location for the body and Harrod does note that he doesn't like referring to it as a dumping site because when you say that it's kind of just like reducing the victim to just like trash by like just referring to dumping site so he just prefers it being called like the secondary dumping site or the recovery location of the body there was only one significant evidence that they found on the body and this was brown tape and this brown tape was wrapped around the victim's head and face at some point it was torn or cut and was incomplete around her head the victim had blunt force trauma to like all over her body she also had like like small cuts on both her hands her legs um as well as her feet and these were done post-mortem so after she was deceased and they assumed that um this was probably just like an accident so maybe the suspect was trying to like move her body or get rid of something on her body and then these small cuts happened. In total the victim had about 58 marks on her body. It was noted that the victim's body was extremely clean including her bra. Remember her bra was white so it was like no blood but like for body to have like 58 wounds and to have like no blood at all that was like it was a bit weird so they did assume that the suspect had cleaned her body and it was either because number one, um what? It was because, number one, um that they were trying to get rid of like any DNA evidence that they might have left on the body or number two that like the suspect was like a neat freak so he just wanted things a specific way and because of this like he just didn't like blood or something like that so which is why he probably cleaned the body so they thought that the latter was the most likely option so there were two reasons why they thought that the victim was found like near the road and lying face down the first one was that the suspect had like a sense of gloating like so he wanted to gloat like i killed this person and wants everyone to see her body and the second one was either that um like he just had a sense of guilt because she was lying face down so like he maybe just didn't want to see her face and like have her like face engraved in his mind oh that makes sense so they thought that the latter was also it that he had like this sense of guilt which is why she was found, which is why she was found laying face down so the first step in any detective case is to identify the victim and in this case um, it was a bit like more difficult because it is believed that if someone is murdered like for psychological reasons or like a sexually motivated crime, it is more likely that the suspect didn't know the victim which is what they believed was the case. Um, but they did believe that the suspect and the victim did have like like initial contact like maybe for a couple of minutes like they didn't know each other but like they just had like a brief interaction and in this case the case of the victim it was two cases going on at once so like a missing persons case as well as a murder investigation so kind of like finding someone who has been reported missing and trying to see if it matches the victim of the murder so in this case the victim's friend um last saw her on the 28th of november at around 8 p.m when her friend said that she was going to go visit like a male friend and after this like maybe like a day or two later she went to a friend's house and she knocked on the door and no one came through and then she later heard on the radio that a body had been found on the highway and after this she maybe thought that it was her friend so she called the police station where um, the victim's body was being held and she went there to go identify the body and once she got to the body the victim was identified as 47 year old Beatrice Haraway. After having identified the victim as Beatrice Haraway, her friend and the police officers went to her house. And in her house, they found a defrosted chicken. And there was no signs of any like foul play or like anything to suggest that her murder happened. Her murder happened at the house. I couldn't find any more information about Beatrice. The only thing I could find about her was that she was an interior designer in Santon and yeah that's literally all the information I could find about her which is in the book like there's nothing online but you should remember that that she's an interior designer from Santon. that's important so after they identified the victim as being beatrice they were able to get a hold of her cell phone records and they were going through her cell phone records and they found that there was one number that she had called really close to the time of her disappearance and the last phone call was on the day she disappeared in the evening on the 10th of november after this her phone had been switched off they then went to her office and went through her diary and her appointments for that day they asked the receptionist if like who was the last person she had an appointment with and this person's name was Anthony Freya so Beatrice had an appointment with Anthony Freya for the 16th of November and he basically just wanted like it was like a consultation basically and then their next appointment was on the 20th of November which is the day that she disappeared so they asked the receptionist if like she remembered how this man looked like and then they made an identikit and this identikit would prove to be really helpful throughout the rest of the investigation. It was around this time when Beatrice's car was found in Centurion. It was neatly parked in a parking lot outside a restaurant named Patrick's. I hope I pronounced it properly. I don't know if it's still there now, but it was parked outside there and... It was about 50 kilometers from where her body was found. After linking this number that Beatrice had been calling to Anthony Freya, they got his cell phone records, and they basically just started going through, like, calling every number that he had on his phone, just to like find out who this man was. And with every like call they'd make, they'd find out that he had so many different names, like he had so many different aliases. And also around this time, they found out that Beatrice's phone had been switched on again on the 25th of November. So five days after she had been killed And then switched off again They found a man His name is Mr. Radiman And so they called him And then he says that He found an advertisement on junk mail For a cell phone That was being sold for 400 Rand, 400 rand And then he met this man And this man introduced himself as James Oliver So he got the phone from this man Gave it to his son And unfortunately his son went to the cinemas On the 26th of December And lost the phone there but this man was still very helpful Mr. Redmond, because they showed him the identikit of um Anthony Frey and asked if it looked like James Oliver which it did so that's how they knew that this was Anthony's second alias so after finding out where Mr. Redmond's son lost the phone at the cinema they went to the cinema and asked around for like items that had been lost and the person working there was like no he hadn't seen a phone and after they explained to him that the phone was used in like it was part of a murder investigation the man finally gave up the phone and said that he had found it under the chairs as he was cleaning up so after this they finally had Beatrice's phone so after going through like all of like all the people Anthony would phone they found a pattern like For all the people that he was calling and basically anthony was calling real estate agents and interior designers and just had all these different aliases so they just discovered what basically his plan was but fortunately all of the people that he had contacted which were all women none of them had been harmed on the 21st of December, 2001, Anthony had contacted a woman named Krista Baker. She was a real estate agent and basically just wanted to go view a house. And after this, she gave the phone call to one of her male colleagues. And this man was so persistent. He was like, no, I only want to talk to Krista Baker. But because it was like around Christmas time, um, they just like canceled the appointments and everything. And you couldn't find any other real estate, real estate agents because they were all basically closed and that was that but then in january on the 5th of so on the 5th of january they got in contact with Krista Beck and asked her to call anthony again this time he was using the alias anthony alexander and basically just asked her to make an appointment with him for the 7th of january so she called him and left a message because his phone was off and then he called her back they said an appointment but after this, he cancelled. So that just kind of fell through. And then they finally met another woman. Her name was Susan, Susan Heumann. And she was an interior designer. And she basically just told him the story about the same man. His name was also Anthony Alexander. And basically he just called her to go to his house basically for like consultation fee so she got there and as she was like viewing the house and stuff he cornered her in the house like before they moved on and she was really uncomfortable so uncomfortable that she took note of this man and as we're just like walking around he then complimented her feet like oh my gosh you have nice feet i like your toe ring and just asked her like how she got into interior designing and everything like that but she felt really uncomfortable she also saw there was a hammer like on his basin and cut the whole consultation short and then after this he asked for her home address so that he could go drop off the consultation fees and she was so uncomfortable that she just gave him um, the address of her friend's business instead. They then showed her the identity that Beatrice's receptionist had helped sketch and she identified this man as being Anthony Alexander who was also Anthony Fiera who was also James Oliver yes so because this woman had actually been to his house obviously go get like consultation fee to go help with the interior designing for his house she was able to tell police where he where, like where this man lived and this became so useful because after this they went to his house and so it was the investigating officer like I think like two other men as well so they went to his house he lived in an estate called a complex it was called Pekinwood in Centurion it was like a nice house it had double door garage was three bedrooms two bathrooms it was like a very nice place to live in so they went there and they opened the security gate which was unlocked they went into the house and they saw this man sleeping on the couch so they woke him up and then the man identified himself as jose de silva so they went to jose's house on the 8th of january at around half past seven in the evening and after this harrod got a phone call that the suspect had finally been apprehended so they asked him to go to his house to go interview him so basically what harrod does is that he says when he interviews someone he's not going to go like straightforward into the case and about what happened but basically just trying to like Gain a better understanding about their upbringing, what could have led to this, and just like their thoughts and processes. I think maybe like nature versus nurture type thing. So that's what that's like what his plan was and also he has this thing where like when he's interviewing someone he'll ask them a question that he knows the answer to but he just wants to see like the suspect's answer to see just to gauge how truthful they are throughout the whole interview so in the case of jose just asking like oh did you contact any other interior designers or like other people and he was like oh yeah real estate agents and other interior designers and this was just also just seeing how truthful he was throughout the whole thing which also made it seem like he was very truthful as well jose de silva grew up in pretoria west he went to Bergerite primary school and after this he went to central technicon after completing his studies he left south africa and went to go do his military service in portugal he had dual citizenship so in south africa and portugal but he says that after like a couple of months of your years of being in Portugal he decided to move back to South Africa because he just felt more at home here Jose worked at a company called Interconnect Systems and he was a project manager he worked at the Johannesburg branch before being moved to Centurion in 2001 which is where he was working he worked there from 1990 to when he was apprehended but um, he had only been working at the Centurion branch for about a year and a half Jose said that he had had bad experience with women, like with a woman in 1996. So he had dated this woman. They had a really good relationship. They bought a house together. Um, They had plans of getting married. And then eventually it just came to an end. And for him, after this relationship ended, he just really didn't see himself getting into a relationship with another woman. Jose was also a regular smoker of marijuana weed. And then he says that after the murder happened he just became very addicted to it and was sort of like an escape for him. Jose also says that he was still surprised that he had a job and this is because he said that he was very depressed and some mornings he would find it really hard to wake up. He says that this depression probably came from his mother's side and he has been depressed since like his early childhood he was prescribed antidepressants but said that he stopped taking them because they would just give him headaches he decided that he had to go see a psychiatrist because he claimed that like he just wasn't normal and he had like all these dark thoughts and everything like that but he just didn't want to go see a psychiatrist because he was scared about like what would happen to him so basically for like psychologists psychiatrists social workers um there is confidentiality but then your confidentiality can be broken for either two reasons so the first reason um is if you are a risk to yourself or your risk to and the second one is a risk to someone else so basically if you go to your psychologist and Maybe you say that you want to kill yourself or you want to kill your husband. They do have the right to break that confidentiality. Maybe go contact a mental a mental institution for maybe for you to like get admitted. Or contact the police if you want to go murder your wife. To basically just inform them that like you're a threat. So those two things are when your confidentiality can be broken. So I think for Jose, it was like, if he were to tell his psychiatrist that I have these dark thoughts, then... He was scared about like What would happen to him Jose says Growing up He felt very powerless Against his father His father was very abusive Towards his mother And him And he just had these thoughts That I just want to get rid of this man And I can't wait Until I can get rid of this man Says from About age 7 He received like this like the worst beating he's ever received from his father and after this he kind of just closed off and every time his father would hit him he wouldn't display like any emotion like he wouldn't cry wouldn't give his that he wouldn't give his father the satisfaction of seeing him like crying or being emotional and he was like if that ever were to happen my father would have to kill me first in june 2001 da silva had a Venus bypass i know that is i'm so sorry um but he after this he had to wear an orthopedic sock on his left leg for about two months and throughout these two months he gained a lot of weight he felt very uncomfortable in his body and he was just like no one is ever gonna love me i'm probably just never gonna like meet a woman that wants to be with me because i'm not that good looking and yeah everything like that so after he had Um, this bypass on his leg, um, his doctor referred him to a psychiatrist and then he only had two sessions with his psychiatrist before his psychiatrist referred him to a clinical psychologist in Hadfield. So he says that like, he had like such dark, like he had really dark thoughts that he just couldn't share with anyone. And then Harrod asked him like, what kind of dark thoughts would you have? And Jose basically just said that like, he had like two deep dark thoughts and they were towards his father as well as his boss and then he just says that like maybe they'd like upset him and then he had this thought like maybe his boss would come into work and like he'd shoot him in the head and make it look like a robbery or like take an axe and just hit him in the head and then that would happen but then after that after like he'd have these thoughts he feels so bad because then he was just like but they don't deserve it like no one deserves to die which is also a bit like, it's very... It's contradict... It's very contradictory. I oh, hope that's the right word. Jose then went on to describe the game that he had with real estate agents and interior designers. So, for him, because, like, he was a man in like, he's 30, single, no wife, no children. He didn't want any of those things because, for him, he felt like he didn't deserve those things. But, like, he could have this... He, was, he used to play a game with all these women. So, for him, he would have, like, this fake alias and maybe just say like he wants to buy a house so like these women would show him a house and they treat him so well because obviously they think that he has money he could buy this house and he loved being treated like that so like for him he felt like he wouldn't be treated like that because of how he looked how much weight he gained and everything like that so it was like this game that he had control over. he had like control over how these women would see him based on like this fake life he'd had like he had so it'd go to a house maybe and then he'd be like, Oh my gosh, this room is so beautiful, maybe like I think my wife would love it or like this garden is so big for like me and like my wife and I's children to go play in it. So it was like this game he had for himself to just make him feel like superior to all these women, like, all these women and gain their respect as well. Jose would also say that when there was a full moon he couldn't sleep. He had like this other like like he had two personalities basically and when there was a full moon he couldn't sleep so when there was like so this would happen like once a month where he'd go out and get like a sex worker and he said like he didn't have any like weird sexual fantasies or fetishes or wanna like control them tie them up just like things like that for him it was just like for sexual gratification and was like the easiest way he could get it but he wouldn't go for women that were like worked at clubs or like an escort agency because for him that was like too expensive so he'd get like a sex sex worker that was on the side of the road because for him it's cheaper and like he could afford it but he had no race preference like whether you're black white indian Asian, like, no matter, like, whatever. He just wanted his sexual gratification. So he says, like, you go pick up these women and they'd go to his home and, like, they'd have conversation, maybe eat and then do things and then pay them and they would go home. And he says that he did this for such a long time but no one knew. And after he said this, Harrod actually thought that he might have been the sex worker's serial murderer that was operating in Pretoria West from 1990 to 2001. Which is also weird because that's like when he was in Pretoria and until he was arrested and they ran his dna against the one they had for the serial murderer and it wasn't a match. I should also note that the serial murderer still hasn't been caught to this day but I thought that was very interesting. Okay so now we're going to talk about the night of the 20th of November. 2001 the night that jose killed beatrice harrowin oh i also forgot to mention that this interview was happening in jose's bathroom which is where the murder took place so or where beatrice's body was for like a long period of time an extended period of time so basically what jose says happened is that like he went to this woman to like obviously go to his home for a consultation just to see what, like what he could do, like what she could do with the place. And he says that like once she got there she kinda like talked down on him like you're wasting my time because it wasn't like a mansion or a big house. So for him, Beatrice just disrespected him and he doesn't take disrespect well. So because she did this like he decided to just ignore it but like he couldn't get over it because he thought that she was treating him like a little boy like a little child and he didn't like that so as she was like looking around the place and everything he went to his garage and got a club i'm assuming it's a golf club and then came back so as she was looking like the other direction he just decided to hit her once in the head and then she fell on the floor so she fell on the floor and then he started panicking like oh my gosh this has always been a game for me but now i actually hit this woman but like she spoke badly about me and was treating me like a child so i had to do this but also this is not who i am so like throughout this whole interview he kind of like says what he did but tries to justify as well. So he said like she fell on the floor, he didn't know what to do. So he has cable ties and he says that he got these cable ties because like in his house, it was just very handy. So he just had them on standby basically. So then like went back, tied her arms like tied her hands together, and then he just like pacing back and forth, didn't know what to do. And then but he was like, you know what? But I wasn't I wasn't nasty to her. Like I only like I didn't hit her, I didn't rape her, like I didn't do anything bad to her. Like he just keeps justifying what he did. Despite the fact that he did hit her. But he was like, you know, she was lying on the floor, she said she was cold. I went to go get her a blanket. I was speaking to her, but I didn't apologize, I didn't say sorry because then she's gonna be like, This man is a psycho, busy like like he hit me on the head, then he wants to say like I'm sorry. And he just couldn't have that. So for him, he's like, I have to basically just get rid of this problem. But he keeps circling back to the fact that, like, she did this. She provoked me. She spoke badly about me. She treated me like a child. She disrespected me. So I had to do this to her. But, like, if she didn't speak to me like that, I would have just let her go. Like, all the other women. But she spoke to me like this. So he just keeps, like, justifying why he did it. But in the same breath, he's just trying to make himself look like a good guy. You know, like, I'm still a good guy. I wouldn't have done this. I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'm making sense. I oh, I'm not repeating myself. But yeah, that's what happened. And then after this, like, after thinking about it, he was like, She's gonna to go to the police. They're gonna come and arrest me. I can't let that happen. Then he was like, I have an axe. He went back to his garage, came back with the axe, and she wasn't facing him because he was like, I couldn't look at her. Like, when I did it, I couldn't look at her and then hit her with the axe when she wasn't looking but also remember i said you must remember what happened in the beginning where he had this fantasy of murdering his boss with an axe but he was like she like he didn't deserve like he doesn't deserve it so it circles back to what's happening now like it's him axing out his murder fantasy that he's always had but trying to justify like she deserved it because she disrespected me so even if you like it's a spur of the moment thing it's always been in the back of his head to murder someone with an axe and do it because they deserved it so that was his justification she deserved it basically Jose would also say that like he's not a criminal mastermind he's not a murderer so he didn't really know what to do with the body like he was panicking and so he wrapped her up in a blanket put her in the bath and he was like this would basically just get rid of all the blood because he just hated blood it was just like for him it was just like icky type thing which also goes back to the body being clean when they found her because he just couldn't handle all the mess and all the blood so he put her in the bath and put her face down and put everything he could find like so his bath mats blankets, like anything to cover her face because he couldn't look at her but in the same breath remember he had two bathrooms but he would still go to the same bathroom where her body was and brush his teeth like shower do all those things even though he said like he couldn't look at her so it was like also a strange contradiction like okay you can't look at this body but like you have two bathrooms but like, you do want to go to this bathroom because it's going to inconvenience you to just take your bath like take your toothbrush from this bathroom to the like to the next bathroom does that make sense it doesn't make sense but like i don't know he just has these weird justifications for everything that he does so the next day he's um okay he says maid but like the cleaning lady was supposed to come and he like couldn't have that happen because he didn't know what like what he was still going to do with beatrice's body so then he canceled like the lady like okay please just don't come tomorrow and he was so worried about like his dirty clothes because he was like oh my gosh she's not gonna come thursday she's only gonna come next thursday but i have dirty clothes what am i gonna do with my dirty clothes like his thought process as everything is happening it's so strange it's so strange so after a day in the middle of the night he finally decided to get rid of the body so he took the body because it was already wrapped wrapped in the blanket like took it to the boot of his car put it in there and then drove her to the N14 highway and threw her body out and he says that he did it at that time of night because there was like no traffic minimal car, like minimal cars no traffic so it was easier for him to do and he says that he put it close to the side of the road so that so that i don't know he just said he just wanted to get rid of it but like he didn't think anything would happen after that he was just worried about like what would happen to him yeah but also he contradicts this as well because later in trial like at trial he says that he put the body there so that he would be found and he's upset that it took the it took the police officers six weeks to finally arrest him but throughout his interview he kept saying like um i didn't want anything to happen to me and that's why like he like what he displays throughout the interview and at trial so throughout the interview like he's like meek, he's very open talking about like what happened justifying it but when he's at trial he's acting like a macho man like it took you guys so long why didn't you guys find me and don't don't dun, dun, like just yeah it's a very interesting man it's a very interesting man Har Levostatney also believes that if Jose de Silva hadn't been arrested when he was he probably would have went on to become a serial murderer so it's really a good thing that he was finally apprehended. And on the 18th of June 2004, Jose de Silva was sentenced to life in prison and an additional 18 years for the murder of Beatrice Haraway.